part of the teaching leadership team here at Jericho. And just when we're getting settled in and nice and comfortable here uh, during our time at Port Kells, we only have two more weekends left in our uncomfortable teaching series. So next week, uh, Meg's going to be teaching on the spiritual practice of stability and what that means and how sometimes it's uncomfortable to stick around and uh, really tough things out in relationships and stay rooted when things get hard. Then the Sunday after that, the McCarthys are going to be talking about the ministry that God's given to them and, and to us in Papua New Guinea in the work that they do there, and they're headed back there next year, and so they're here with us for uh, a year, but we want to be always continuing to be mindful and be praying into the work that God's called them to do. And then the Sunday after that, we're going to start into a series in the book of Colossians, which I'm excited about. But today, I want to look into an aspect of our lives together as Christian community that we don't give a lot of thought to often, but can make us very uncomfortable. And that is a theology of diversity. Now, what do I mean by that? But diversity. Well, one of the images that is consistently used in the New Testament to talk about the church and what it means to be a part of a family and a community of people is a, a, a family. And many families have what appears to be like very limited diversity on the surface. They might look alike in first glance in terms of things like ethnicity or things uh, like history or theological orientation or socioeconomics. But when you get to know them a little bit more as a family, you begin to see there's a rich diversity and there's a tapestry and, and a lot of divergence in uh, some families. And it can be a beautiful thing, but it can also make life together as a family very challenging and difficult at times. So take, for example, uh, I'll pick on my own extended family uh, because they're the ones I know best. This is a picture of them taken about 15 years ago, and uh, they kind of look alike, but there's actually in this family quite incredible diversity. So just think in terms of occupations for a minute. In this group, there are tugboat drivers, CEOs, medical doctors, hunting guides, we have computer programmers, we have pastors, we have bus drivers, we have educational assistants, we have grad students, we have those who didn't finish high school, people who run outdoor schools, we have all kinds of occupations and vocations represented just in that group of people. And the diversity doesn't stop at occupations. Uh, we have regional diversity because this family is spread uh, all the way across Canada from Vancouver Island to Halifax. And so wherever you live, you pick up some of the idiosyncrasies of life there. And so we can see that when we get together. And you can't see it in this picture because there's other members of the family that aren't in this picture. But in terms of ethnicity, we have people from the UK, we have people from the States, we have African Americans, we have Filipinos, um, we have strong and wide political differences, so much so that we tend not to talk about it when we get together as an extended family because it creates conflicts. People in this picture have voted all across the political spectrum. Um, we have religious diversity. Some people attend high church, some people attend low church, some people attend no church. Uh, we have all kinds of diversity in this family grouping. And when we get together, 
we're reminded both of how much we have in common, but also about how crazy different we are, even though a lot of us look a little bit the same. And we're reminded that it's not always neat and tidy and pretty. I mean, we love each other, but it's actually hard work to be a family. Maybe you can relate as you think about your own family experiences. And this might be one of the reasons why the image of family is used in the New Testament to describe the church, because it helps us understand that when we get into proximity with other people and start talking about and working out things like our faith, it can make us feel uncomfortable. And part of that level of feeling uncomfortable and being uncomfortable It just comes from the fact that there is diversity in any family experience. It doesn't matter. You put a group of people in a room together, and we have diversity, and that can create in us a sense of, I'm not comfortable with that. But this is where another image in the New Testament that is used to describe what's going on in the life of a thing like Jericho Ridge Community Church can help us. Because the image of a body is used in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which we started to look at last week. So if you've got your Bibles or turn there on your device, and we'll continue looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want us to understand a little bit more about why diversity is such a rich gift that God has given to us, but also why it's just such hard work living together in mutual dependence. So, we're going to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're starting where we left off uh, in verse 12. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation, writing to a group of people who are vastly different. Paul, under the authorship and leadership of the Holy Spirit, says this in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles or non-Jews, some are slaves, some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and we share the same Spirit. Now we need to just stop for just a moment and think about the implications just of this little section of a description of the body. Because in the first century world that Paul is writing to, and and in our world today, it's very, very common to hang out with people who are like us. That's the general organizing principle of our lives. We try and live in communities of people that are kind of in the same socioeconomic brackets as us. We associate with sporting or voluntary clubs and memberships of people that like the same things as us. And so uh, for a group of people to be together in a community, the people that is different than them is quite unusual. If you're a student and you're an athlete, you tend to stick with the athletic kids. If you're a band kid, you hang with the band kids. If you're a junior, you stick with those age categories. If you're a senior, you stick with those people. You get the picture. But right away, Paul introduces us to something here that really should shock us. But we just read it and we keep going, we're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, body, one point, all that stuff. But Paul says something here that would have been radical to the people that were listening to it. He says to them, listen, you're a church, you're a community of people that are trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus and live under the lordship of Christ. 
but you're vastly different. You see, some of you are, are actually slaves in this culture that he's writing to, and some of you are not slaves. You're free. Right away, I think those people wouldn't associate with each other outside of any structures. And then he says, some of you are Jews. Some of you are, consider yourself part of a people group that has this long ethnic relationship to God. And then some of you are brand new to all of this stuff. You're Gentiles. You're people who are just new to this experience of what it means to think about and be a part of a church. And so outside of this community that Paul's writing to in Corinth, these people would not be hanging out together at all. In fact, some of them would be just diametrically opposed to each other. And yet, Inside, Paul is saying to them, when you come in and be a part of something like a church community, you actually put aside some of those differences. And the differences are not small differences. If we were to use a modern equivalent, we would probably be talking about something as radical as taking Palestinians and Jews and putting them together in the same space sitting across from each other in the same church, singing the same worship songs. And for us, we have a hard time picturing those two types of groups of people hanging out in the same room, let alone sharing a common communion cup or baptismal experience together. And yet Paul says, you know what? I don't care what your differences were or are. When you choose to become part of God's family... You are part of one body. Theologian Scott McKnight uses the phrase, the same kind of difference. In other words, you're still different. You're coming from very, very different backgrounds and very different things that you bring to the table, culturally and in every other way. And we are very different in many, many ways, just like my family or your family. But at the same time, right away, Paul's trying to get at his point of saying, yes, we are different. You are different. But we're united in the most meaningful and important way of all. And that is we're actually united by the Spirit. There is, in, if in Galatians chapter 3, Paul says it this way. If you choose to become part of God's family... There is no Jew, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You are one in Christ Jesus. Unity in Christ triumphs over distinctions and distinctions. What binds us together is greater than any of the superficial or cultural or social things that divide us. I love this cartoon from the Chicago Tribune. See, we love and we just have a, a very strong tendency as humans to divide the world into us's and them's. The us's are people like us, people that are similar to us, and the them's are different. But see, what happens is in God's family, God has taken a whole bunch of them's and morphed us and created a new us together in Christ Jesus. Though we are many and we are a very diverse many, we are one in Christ. This theme is found all throughout the New Testament. If you look in Ephesians chapter 4, again, Paul returns to it and says, yep, you're different, 
but you're united by the thing that's most important. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all who is over all and living through all. Yes, you are different. But the things that unite you are more important and more fundamental and more eternal than the things that divide us. And so this is true because this is true. We actually have a responsibility to carry ourselves in this family system in a particular way. We have a, we have a responsibility to think and act toward others as if this is actually true. And so if you are here and you say, yes, I'm a part of God's family, then your assignment, your, the way in which you need to think and behave about people who are part of God's family is, yes, we acknowledge differences. Differences exist, but we need to celebrate our unity. It's not truthful to simply say, oh yeah, differences don't matter, we're all one. There are differences, and we acknowledge those things. There are some times when the things that divide us actually do become greater than the things that unite us. And there are places where our theological differences lead us down pathways that are meaningful. But there are also places where we can put those things aside and, and say to ourselves, you know what, those people, trying not to use that language, the brothers and sisters who are part of a different part of God's family, man, they really annoy me. They think differently than me about these things. Sometimes they actually insult me online because they have different convictions that they bring to the table. But as near as I can tell, we're going to spend eternity together. So we might as well try getting along now if we can make a best shot of it. And see, Paul brings us back and says, you know, there's a few places where this unity actually becomes really significant and important and where it gets lifted up and celebrated. One of the places we see this celebrated, this oneness celebrated, is in baptism. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, uh, the King James Version says this, by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. And so baptism becomes this place where we actually see and experience that in a public way. Baptized. Being baptized is a sign of the believer's incorporation into the body of Christ. And so next Sunday morning, we're going to baptize four of our young adults. And we're going to incorporate them. When we do that, what we're saying is not just incorporating them into Jericho Ridge, but they are being incorporated into God's eternal family, the body of Christ. And when they do that, they're standing and saying, I belong to this family and I want to let other people know that. And that's one reason why in our tradition we actually link together baptism and membership. Because you're saying something significant in that moment. You're saying, I belong here. These are my people. This is my tribe. I hang out with these people, but I'm also identifying my oneness with the global community of faith. Another place we celebrate this is in communion. 
Again, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says, and have been all made to drink into the one spirit. He's talking about communion, talking about the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, referencing back to the Old Testament and the time uh, in Israel where they sojourned in the wilderness and they all drank from the same springs and they all ate the same manna. He says, when you, it's like you're participating in that moment of communion, remembering Christ's death and his resurrection and his triumph over death and the grave. Communion becomes not just about an individual's experience with Jesus. Communion becomes, and when we celebrate it, it becomes about that place where you declare our oneness as a part of God's family. Paul's saying here, communion is not about whether you do wine, whether you do juice, whether you do it in little plastic cups, in a chalice, whether you do it every week, whether you do it only occasionally. Whenever you do it, it is a powerful declaration of our oneness as a community of faith and our oneness with the global and eternal family that is God's family. It expresses that sense of fellowship and unity with believers all across the globe. And that's one reason why we thought we would do communion like we did it last weekend. Just to make that point that this is not an individualistic action. This is an expression of community. Let's keep looking in 1 Corinthians 12 in verse 14 and following. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 continues this body metaphor and says, yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. So if the foot says, oh, I'm not part of the body, I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, oh, I'm not part of the body, I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? No, is the obvious answer, because if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts. And here again, this image of the human body is helpful because we understand that there inherently that there is diversity in our makeup as human beings. We have many different parts of our bodies, but together they all form one body. And what's interesting and pointed out by commentators is that the Corinthians' fundamental problem that Paul's writing to correct them about is actually not their rejection of the church's unity. They get that. What they don't get and what they fail to acknowledge, and he has to bring them back to again and again and again, is the church's diversity. They're running around saying things like, well, you know, I don't know about those people who have the gift of prophecy. It's a little bit weird. I don't think we need them around here. It's not super helpful, don't you think so? Or they're running around saying, well, you know, so-and-so as a leader has the gift of teaching. I really prefer it when they teach instead of the other people. And they're running around saying, you know, you don't really belong here because you're kind of different than I am. I mean, you're a slave. That's just ridiculous that you would even think you have the right and authority to walk in here and sit with a bunch of us who are not slaves. I mean, you need to give your head a shake. Paul's writing to correct them 
because they're running around telling each other, you know, you don't belong here. You're not part of us. You think differently. You look differently. Your views on things are different than mine. And Paul had to remind them, write them and remind them and saying, listen, it is vitally important in the church that we never emphasize uniqueness at the expense of unity. We never should emphasize our uniqueness either in individual gifts or as a community at the expense of the unity of the body. In Ephesians 4, again, Paul writes and says, listen, make every effort, everything you can do to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourself together with peace. Make every effort that you can to be united and to live out that unity. Now, I have a theory. I'm not sure, I'm not certain if it's true or not, so I'll let you be the judge of that. I'll test it with you, and you can give it some thought. And on this theory, I'm indebted to uh, Kerry Newhoff, who's a pastor in Ontario, and uh, he suggests that when you live in a majority culture as a Christian, in other words, if we were taken out of this city and this time and this place, and we were plucked down somewhere where almost everybody else was a Christian, It'd be hard to imagine a time in history when that was actually true. But think about it for a minute. If you live in a majority culture where there are more people who are Christians than who are not Christians, then it becomes very important to emphasize the distinctives, uniquenesses of your particular brand of Christianity. You need to lead with, in, if you're in a majority culture, when you're talking with other people about, oh, um, well, we'd like you to come and be a part of our church because we're not like all of those other people. I mean, let me tell you all the ways they have it wrong. We got this right. We got this going on. And you need to sort of elevate those unique aspects of your culture or your theological understanding because that becomes very, very important. So, you know, you start to uh, have a little bit of pride over those things, and then you, you just start running around thinking, you know, we really are unique and special. Jesus loves us more than other people. You start saying things like, well, you know, I don't know about those eight other brands of Mennonites and running around in Canada. I mean, some of them are just weird. Like, we've got it together in our little tribe. But things really shift when you become part of a minority culture, when there are more people who do not know and affirm faith in Christ than do. See, when you're in a culture where the majority of people don't share your convictions and are not vitally connected with a Christian community, I think we ought to be running around emphasizing the things that unite us as Christians instead of the things that make us unique and distinct. And so that's why at Jericho you hear us celebrating things that God is doing in the global community of faith and here in our city. Muriel and I were just talking there. CLA planted a campus in Clayton. Uh, last weekend was their launch, and we celebrate that and welcome that and affirm it. There's another church uh, plant that I emailed the pastor. They've moved from Calgary. They're starting in Langley at H.C. Stafford this morning. Emailed them and said, we are praying for you. We love you. Um, we, we celebrate what God is going to do through this church community. Because, gang, there's a whole bunch of people in our city that need to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And so when we run around and we emphasize our uniqueness, people get the impression 
that we don't care about those other people. And, oh, I don't know what those people think about. But gang, we're all part of God's family. And there are lots and lots of lost people to go around. That's why we celebrate this. So we're quick to say things, you know, Meg and I, when, when someone else begins to talk about another church, like Crossway, we say, oh, Crossway is a great pastor. Pat and their team, we know them. They might worship differently than I do, than we do. They might have differing theological convictions, but we really love them and we count it a privilege to be a part of the community of faith here and, and celebrate what Jesus is doing in our city. We emphasize unity over uniqueness. And so you need to think about how you think about other Christians. I love this quote by A.T. Pearson, who was a pastor in New York City at the beginning of the 1800s. And he said this, To a true child of God, the invisible bond that unites all believers to Christ is far more tender and lasting and precious. And as we come to recognize and realize that we are all dwelling in one sphere of life in Christ, we learn to look on every other believer as our brother or our sister in a sense that is infinitely higher than all other human relationships. Unity over uniqueness. Because, friends, we're reminded again of this body language in 1 Corinthians 12. That's why Paul says, well, can't say to the hand, foot can't say, ah, we don't need you. But, friends, we do this all the time in the North American church in particular. But, friends, we need each other. So, if we were to paraphrase this, perhaps unfairly, the charismatics cannot say to the contemplatives, ah, we don't need you as a part of God's family. You know, we got it going on. We know how to really lead worship here. Anabaptists can't say to the neo-reform, we don't need you. You don't know anything. You don't have a corner on truth. Mennonites can't say to the Catholics, we don't need you. North Americans can't say to our brothers and sisters in the global south, we don't need you. And the hard one maybe today for us is that as Canadians, we can't say to our American evangelical friends, we don't need you as much as we might like to. Gang, we're all part of one family. And we need each other. We really do. Because all of us have gifts. Every one of those traditions and thousands of others named have gifts to offer to other parts of the body of Christ. We have corrective lessons that we need to be open to receiving from other parts of the global and historic family of faith. And so we need to stay in relationship with each other to try and learn from each other and to try and spur each other on to love and good deeds. We are part of one body, whether we like it or not. So here's your second action item. When you interact with people that are parts of other traditions, be curious about the distinctives. Ask questions. Seek to understand and learn what it is that they find as valuable in the tradition that they're a part of. Be curious about that, but also be real quick to find something that you have in common with them and celebrate that and share that. Come with humility. See, think of it this way. When you walk in to Starbucks, there's an incredible variety of espresso beverages on the menu. Just ask Mike. He works there. 
You can get a mocha, you can get a macchiato, you can get an Americano, you can get it ice, you can get it this way, you can get it that way. Like, so these drinks, when you get them at the bar, when they come to you, they look nothing alike. But think about it, they're all just coffee. They got other stuff mixed in there, but they're all espresso. And so, when you interact with other Christians, be curious. What unique flavors or emphasis do they have in the mix? But remember, if we're clear on the essentials, they're part of the same family, and we need to treat them as such. We're all just different flavors of coffee, all working together as a family. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's look at verse 22. It says, in fact... Some parts of the body, they seem weakest and they seem least important. They're actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. We carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts don't require this special care. So God has put the body together with extra honor and care given to those parts that have less dignity. And this makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. And if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. And all of you together are Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. So we see here that God put together the body and built into its very fabric. It is part of his plan and design an incredible diversity. See, we didn't invent diversity as human beings. The one body, many parts principle is part of God's design and plan. And when you look at it and you think about it, oftentimes we start to talk about it in the realm of different spiritual gifts that God has given in a unique local expression of the body of Christ. But this one body, many parts principle, actually applies both inside a place like Jericho and also beyond a place like Jericho. So if you think about, pause and think for just a minute about the diversity that's resonant just inside this room in terms of ethnicity, in terms of backgrounds, in terms of all, just any piece of that that you could imagine. It's massive diversity in just our little piece of the body of Christ. And then think about that, step back for a minute and say, well, think about the vast diversity of types and expressions of the body of Christ in Langley and in Surrey. And then think about our region in Vancouver, in Metro Vancouver, in our province. And then think about Canada as a whole, our nation, how much diversity exists across the religious landscape in a country like ours. And then think about the global community of faith and how many different ways our family has just today around the globe worshipped. 
It's incredibly stunning to think about how much diversity is resident in the global community of faith. And yet, we are all part of one family. Here's the action item to think about. Sometimes we come to a place like this and we think, all right, I need, to, I need to work myself up into a better attitude about, you know, unity and all that kind of stuff. I just love the way Johnny Erickson Tada says it. She says, you know what? If you look in Ephesians, we're never actually told to become one. Like, eh, I got I to gotta become one with that person and really get it on top of this whole unity thing. We're never actually told to become one. We are told that we are one. And we just are expected to act like it. You're part of God's community of faith, church. So just start acting like it by the grace that God gives you. One of the ways that uh, I want to express this as Caitlin and the team come to lead us in worship is a a responsive reading. And so I'm going to invite you to stand with me if you're able and willing. And we're going to Just give voice to this in the form of a prayer. And I'll read the uh, leader part, and then we'll all together uh, speak out the parts that are in bold in response. So God, today, we believe that you dwell in all who confess Jesus as the Son of God. And together, God, today we will open our ears to hear each one who confesses Jesus as the Son of God. God, we believe that you invite us to accept each other as sisters and brothers. God, today we accept and embrace all who call themselves by your name. God, we believe that you call us to love each other as we love ourselves. God, with all our hearts, we will strive to love our brothers and sisters from every denomination and group. God, we believe that you ask us to use our gifts to serve each other in unity and in understanding. God, may we, in a spirit of love and care, use our gifts to build each other up. God, we believe that in unity together, we will actually come to a full knowledge of Christ. God, may we grow together into the knowledge of the one in whom all things fit together. And so, God, we receive this gift from you. You have made us one. We need your help and your strength to live that out. We can't do it on our own initiative. We can't will ourselves to get there. We need to receive from you the gift of humility. We need to receive from you uh, the gift of discernment. We need to receive from you gifts of faith and many other gifts. And so, Lord, we come to you now with hands that are open, hearts that are open, ears that are open, And we ask you would speak to us. We ask you would forgive us where we have acted in ways that have not reflected your heart for unity. And we ask that you would draw us together 
as one family, that the world may know that you are the Lord of your church, that you are still actively interested in drawing all people together into your family from every corner of the globe, every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And so we commit ourselves to that unity. In the name of Jesus, who made it possible, we pray and say, amen. Let's worship together in response. If the prayer team is available at the back, at the side, if you want to take some time in just private repentance and kneeling or in sitting, you're welcome to respond as the Lord leads you.